Good morning and welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Pittsburgh. It is a beautiful day, so we're so happy to have all of you here. If you can pick up the pew pads at the end of your pew and just put your names in there so that we know that you're here, we'd appreciate that. If you need to speak with a Stephen minister, the Stephen minister today is Alice Sweatman. She's probably out there in the narthex. And we have a few announcements today. First, I'm going to ask Jack Holdsworth to come up and speak for the Optimists. Good morning. And what a lovely morning it is. And if you're happy to be Casting aside that icebox living that we were in, raise your hand. <clears throat> I have just a couple of details on our Optimist meeting, which will be next Friday. And uh, many of the details are in your bulletin. We feature the fifth grandson of Mahatma Gandhi, Arun Gandhi. And uh, he will be giving us a very interesting message. What isn't in your bulletin and uh, wasn't time to get it in print is this. There will be two books available at the Optimist Dinner for $15 apiece. They were written by Arun. The first one is titled Legacy of Love, Lessons I Learned from My Grandfather. The second, The Forgotten Woman, the only definitive biography of Mahatma Gandhi's wife. Funds for the uh, books are to go to the exploited and impoverished children in India. We hope some of you can be here next Friday night. Aaron signs his emails, The Peaceful Farmer. Thank you, Jack. And our next um, announcement is from Dick Sprinkle. Good morning, everybody. It's my pleasure to introduce you to Jim DeVoe, who's president of Kirkhaven, who will speak to us about the Homes Offering. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for your time this morning to allow me the opportunity to share a little bit more with you about the, uh, the Homes Offering. Now, I know that you folks have all been fairly familiar with it. You've participated in this uh, longstanding tradition in which in the month of May, oftentimes on Mother's Day, uh, that we take up a collection throughout uh, the churches of the Presbytery to help support the missions of both Kirkhaven and the Rochester Presbyterian Home. So I wanted to share with you a little bit at first, because some of you may be less familiar with those two Presbyterian communities, and I wanted to share a little bit about it, although I know that you received a nice letter from your outreach committee, and there's also some information in your bulletin about the home's offering. But the, the Rochester Presbyterian Home, uh, they offer uh, assisted living, which is really for folks who need some uh, additional help with activities of daily living, uh, assistance and support. And they do this in uh, four, uh, four communities that they have. 
Um, they have a special community for those folks who need help uh, with dementia care. They also have a, a regular adult living community uh, for elders needing support and supervision. They have a respite care program, uh, and they also have a memory care residence as well. And Kirkhaven, uh, Kirkhaven is our skilled nursing facility, and it provides both short-term rehabilitation care as well as long-term uh, chronic care. And we do this in, uh, in four different households in our facility. We have a transitional care household, which helps with folks who are just coming back from either elective surgery or a stroke and need short-term rehabilitation to get you back home. We also have a special household that's designed for folks with advanced Alzheimer's or other related dementias. And then we have our long-term care households, which provide compassionate, skilled, and hospice care for our most frail and, and aging elders. And if you've heard me talk before, you know that uh, both the Rochester Presbyterian Home and Kirkhaven have been on a long-standing journey aimed at redefining elder care to ensure residents have ample opportunities for meaningful and enjoyable living. And this journey is all about bringing resident dignity, respect, and empowerment. And the home's offering helps support both of these organizations in that journey. But what I thought I'd share with you a little bit more today outside of the information you already have is four reasons why I think we all should support the home's offering. Because I know, like me, you probably get a lot of requests for your charitable giving. And all four of these reasons have to do with the fact that we truly are your Presbyterian connection to services, information, and resources for seniors. So reason number one, our culture, our philosophy, and our way of doing business is 100% rooted in the principles of Christianity and servant leadership. And when caring for others, mission over margin and resident-centered care make a noticeable difference. And it's a difference I hope you would agree is worth supporting. Reason number two, our elders have given us so much over their lifetime. And what a respectful and loving response it is for us to be able to allocate a portion of our own gifts to support our most frail elders as they age. Reason number three, both Kirkhaven and the Rochester Presbyterian Home give priority consideration to Presbyterians who apply for admissions at our, com at our communities. Your support helps to ensure that these communities continue to be there for you and your family if ever needed. And reason number four, both Kirkhaven and the Rochester Presbyterian Home are available as a resource to you, either individually or as groups, to help navigate through the emotional, often complicated and stressful process of caring for an aging loved one. And I want to let you know that, uh, and a lot of people have taken advantage of this, that myself personally, as well as a lot of my staff, we're always there and available and willing to help you if you have any questions about the process, because I know a lot of people go through this, and they go through it maybe once, maybe twice in a lifetime, and you're not necessarily experts when that happens. And when you need help, I really would encourage you to reach out to us. Whether you come to our communities or not, we are there to help you. We're there to give you answers, uh, just support you in some of the questions you may have. So please feel free to reach out to us and to me personally. So I'll close by just saying, you know, what better time than the month of May, which is Older Americans Month and the month in which we celebrate Mother's Day, to make a gift of support through the home's offering in honor of or in memory of those special elders in your own life. 
And you can do that, as I mentioned, um, there, through the PO envelopes and through uh, the information that you have in your bulletin in terms of uh, either on Mother's Day next Sunday or throughout the month of May, making a special gift to the Homes Offering on behalf of our elders. So on behalf of both Kirkhaven and the Rochester Presbyterian Home, thank you for your past support, and thank you in advance for your continued support. Thank you, Jim. Bruce, if you would like to begin with the prelude. We've gathered for worship frazzled from running errands and running committees, running out of energy and running out of time, running from problems and running from uncomfortable truths. In these moments, we admit that sometimes the Bible makes us comfortable, and especially when it has questions like this. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help? All who obey his commandments abide in him and he abides in them. Let us worship God who makes us one in the Spirit, and let us commit ourselves anew to following and obeying Jesus' commandment of love. Let us worship God.
Please pray with me. Holy God, in love you created us to love. In Jesus' death and resurrection, you have profoundly proven the depths of your love for us and the whole of your creation. Jesus calls us to be his followers, but only by abiding in him can we even begin to live the way of love he commands. We pray to be strengthened by Christ's indwelling spirit, that we may live the faith we profess, faithfully following Jesus in truth and action. In our worship today, strengthen us that we embrace the courage to tell the stories of Jesus so that others can learn about our Master's love. Amen. And the stories are true. God offers us forgiveness, and so let us with confidence join together in this corporate prayer. Lord Jesus, we confess we tend to feel more comfortable in the realm of religious ideas about you than to be in close relationship with you. We would rather talk about you than walk with you, for we do not know where you might lead us or what you might require of us. We confess we often get caught up in conjecture or debate concerning your human life, your dying and rising, the meaning of your parables, and the mystery of your promises. We confess our failure to trust and love you, to be open to you, and to be dependent upon relationship with you, so that we may be followers and co-workers in the upbuilding of your earthly realm. Forgive us, we pray. Amen. Yes, the stories are true. For God so loved the world that God gave us his only Son, that whomsoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And eternal life is not just that in the afterlife. It's here and now when we accept God's gift of forgiveness and grace and offer it to others. My friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. seated, friends. If you have a little bit of the Irish in you, you might recognize some of the inspiration for our prelude to the gospel, and I invite you to share it with me. You'll find it printed in your bulletin. Christ be with us, Christ behind us, Christ before us, all around. Christ in busy town of Pittsford, Christ where hardly rings a sound. Jesus, you're our Lord and Savior. On your love we can depend. Help us see your presence clearly in each stranger and each friend. Just as Jesus did and just as Jesus gives us in John 15, one of the I am statements. I invite you to hear God's word to you. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine grower. God removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. 
You've already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me, you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified in this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I have the privilege of inviting our young people forward into the chancel for our mouse report. And while you're coming up, I want to introduce to you this lovely lady in the chancel. Her name is Leah Cohn. Leah is the new director of Camp Whitman. And if any of you have ever had an opportunity, just by a show of hands, who's gone to summer camp anywhere? More of you? Come on. Really? Summer camp anywhere. We're thinking about the summer. We're thinking about how we can contribute to God's glory and God's realm. And Leah realized her dream. She was an attendee at Camp Whitman, one of the one of the camps that is sponsored by our Presbyterian denomination. And then she got to come back and become its camp director. So she has a little message for our young people, taken from John 15 and taken from her experiences as well. So welcome, Leah. We're delighted to have you amongst us. That should be powered up and ready to go. Good morning. There you go. How are you all doing? Good. Thank you for having me in worship with you this morning. I wanted to know if anybody here has ever gotten lost. Ever gotten lost? Has your, has your mom or dad turned the wrong way down the street before? Have your, has your GPS ever brought you in the wrong place? Anybody? Last week, I got really, really lost. I was in Mexico. Do you know where that is? And I couldn't find my way north. I couldn't find my way back to the United States. I was really lost. And my gas tank was running empty, and I was getting scared. Have you guys been scared before? I didn't know what to do. I needed to get back home. But I knew what I needed to do. I pulled over and I prayed. I said, God, please help me find my way home. I'm scared and I want to go home. And then the way was shown to me. I was shown that I needed to turn my car around and go in the opposite direction of the way I was going. (laughs) Because I was going the wrong way. (laughs) In the scripture reading that um, we just read, Jesus calls us as friends. Friends that he has chosen and appointed to do great things. He promises that we will bear much fruit. That's what the vine is about. If we remain connected or powered up with love. What are other things that need to be powered up? Do you have something that you plug in every night? An iPad? Anybody have an iPad? So many iPads. (laughs) What about a phone? (laughs) Phones? Okay. Do you know what happens if you don't plug something in? What happens if you don't plug in your iPad at night? Can you play games on it? It's turned off, right? It doesn't have any more power. Humans don't need to be plugged into an outlet, do they? Do you plug yourself in? No? Okay. (laughs) Yes, some of us have coffee. We don't need to be plugged into the outlet. We don't have a little plug attached to us. Um, And in fact, at camp, there's no power at all. You couldn't bring your iPad or your phone to camp. You can't have that there. But without staying connected to the power of Jesus, we also do not work. 
If we remove ourselves from the power source of Jesus and God, we no longer can find our way. Do you remember what I did in my story when I got lost? I prayed. That's right, I prayed. So I have a little gift for each of you. This is one gift that has a little bit to do with camp. One is a compass. Have you ever seen a compass before? A compass is always going to show you north. And I also have a little sticker for each of you or each of your families, and that is a sticker of the cross. And what does the cross represent? Jesus, yes. Cross represents Jesus. So that even if you get lost, you are always going to find your way home with your compass and, your, and thinking to the cross. At camp, we have many adventures. We hike, we canoe, we play games together, and Jesus is always with us, helping us find our way. I hope you guys will think about going to camp when you're ready to go to Camp Age. It's a lot of fun, and, um, and soon uh, many of you will experience the many adventures of Camp Whitman. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Rachel and Wes and I had an opportunity to go to Camp Whitman last year for a week, and it was a phenomenal experience, just like Leah was saying to, to all of the kids and to all of us. There is no power outlet there, but there is a deeper power source, and it's amazing to watch as the young people develop over the course of a week in caring for one another and for the other campers. And the population out at Camp Whitman is a very special population, one that we support here and one that God supports every day. So thanks, Leah, for taking this answering to mission. If anybody's got questions about Leah or Camp Whitman, you'll find her in the fellowship hall immediately following worship service. And guys, I want to finish giving you your crosses and your compasses, and then you can go pray yourselves, into, pray, continue our prayers in the kingdom this, after, this morning, okay? Sound good? Friends, please pray with me. God in heaven, we give you thanks for the many ways that you guide us with compasses and with your spirit. And may we also know that you are forever with us wherever we go. Amen. Have a great time in the kingdom, everybody. And we have a prelude to the word of history that we can share together, friends. Please join me in our prelude. Christ in lines of people fleeing, praying that the shaking cease. Christ in battered women's shelters, looking for a place of peace. Christ with people sick or dying, loved ones trying hard to cope. In this world of so much suffering, Christ, you give your people hope. 
Acts chapter 8. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home, seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he replied, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, About whom, may I ask, does this prophet say this, about himself or someone else? And then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? And as they were going along, he was baptized. He commanded the chariot to stop, both of them, Philip and the eunuch. They went down to the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he was passing through the region, He proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now I want to alert you that we have a very different hymn. You're going to open it to page 849. Matter of fact, it's very unusual that most hymnals only have about 400 hymns. This one we're at 849, so there are a lot in this. You will see that this hymn is a Korean hymn. It's very melodic. And I want you to know how it works. There is stanza one, and then stanza one repeats, and then there is a refrain that repeats, not after stanza one, but only after stanza two. And so Bruce Frank is going to play stanza one for us, and then the choir will help us sing stanzas one and two, and then Bruce will play the refrain and we'll sing that. I hope that that's helpful. You'll want to listen carefully to this too. Bruce? Yeah. Good morning. Morning. So I'll play all the way through, and so then we'll go from the beginning. Okay.
Now, at the first service, we didn't have the support of the choir, so you can be grateful that I spared you when I pulled out my guitar and played. And what I played and taught the congregation to sing was this next reading from 1 John. We prelude it with these words of love, which we share. Christ with children who must struggle, working hard for daily food. Christ in classrooms, learning, growing, asking questions, seeking good. Christ in diners, waiting tables. Christ in homes where children play. In this world of people working, Christ, please work through us today. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent his Son as the Savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God and they abide in God. So we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this, those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Change is hard. It's a challenge in families, in businesses, in churches, in towns, in countries. In fact, the only person who really likes change is a baby with a wet diaper, and then I'm not quite so sure about them. And to that end, I at one time thought that we should post 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51, in our church nursery. That verse reads, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. (laughs) Throughout history, people have been afraid of innovation. 1795, German writer Johann George Heinzmann warned people not to read. He said, consuming words leads to a weakening of the eyes, heat rashes, gout, arthritis, hemorrhoids, asthma, apoplexy, pulmonary disease, indigestion, blocking of the bowels, nervous disorder, migraines, epilepsy, hypochondria, and melancholy. Be careful about reading, which I thought was kind of unusual because he himself is a writer. But never would I have imagined reading to have a list of disclaimers that sounds like one of those prescriptions being advertised during the evening news. Then in 1803, preacher Jediah Morse said, Let us guard against the insidious encroachments of innovation. What you read as you study what he had to say is he did not like the new hymns in 1803. In 1854, author David Thoreau criticized the construction of the magnetic telegraph from Maine to Texas. He said, but Maine and Texas, it may be, have nothing with which to communicate to each other. In 1906, Composer John Philip Sousa lamented that phonographs were causing the deterioration of music in America. In 1926, the Knights of Columbus warned that the telephone would break up home life and the old practices of visiting friends. At that same time, a dean at Princeton University observed that cars were becoming a great threat to America's people. The general effect of the automobile, wrote Howard McClenahan, was to make the present generation look lightly at the moral code, and he wondered that youth with cars would begin to drive all over the place, especially on Sundays, and they would drive everywhere but church. I was a little afraid when my two children started to learn how to drive. I told the neighbors, if you didn't like the way my children were driving, stay off the sidewalk. (laughs) Then in 2008, I was waiting at Strong Hospital, and I surveyed an article in the waiting room from the Atlantic magazine. And when I spied the article, it asked this question, is Google making us stupid? And to that question, I really didn't know. I do know 
that at a small t-shirt kiosk in the middle of Eastview Mall, they sell a t-shirt that reads, I don't need Google, my wife knows everything. And I thought to myself, surely the man who purchased and is wearing this t-shirt is now separated and living in an apartment in the Park Avenue area of Rochester. Maybe you've heard how computers free up our time. I am convinced that they can, but every time your computer crashes, it frees you to take care of errands. Maybe this is why Microsoft used to use as their slogan for their web browser, where do you want to go today? So my computer crashes, and I think to myself, with my computer down, I need to pick up the fertilizer, get my car repaired, uh, drop off things at the post office, and go to the grocery store. Resistance to change seems to be a constant. We don't like innovation even when they have proved to be beneficial. Reading, telegraph, phonographs, telephones, cars, the Internet. There are problems associated with each, but on the whole, we kind of find most of these helpful. But here we are confronted in the eighth chapter of Acts with real innovation, an angel of the Lord challenges this relatively new Christian, Philip, to innovate. The angel says, get up, go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This, the Bible adds, is a wilderness road. The angel is ordering Philip to leave the city of Jerusalem to head out in a new direction off the beaten path. As he begins the journey, Philip meets an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. When I read this, one of my initial questions to myself was, what in the world was this eunuch doing here? This man has several strikes against him from a religious point of view. He's a foreigner. And admittance to the assembly of the Lord is generally reserved for the Israelite community. These foreigners were not allowed into the best parts of the temple in Jerusalem. And secondly... He is a eunuch, and the Torah is explicit. And this is very difficult verse. I'll read it for us. Deuteronomy 23.1 No one whose testicles are crushed or whose penis is cut off shall be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. I thought, this is not a verse of scripture to memorize or quote, especially given to the kind of accidental encounters most of the congregation has had on Google. But it's blunt. 
What was this man doing here? Thinking he could go to the temple. It is amazing that this Ethiopian eunuch has such conviction and belief in the God of Israel. He has made a long and arduous journey to worship in Jerusalem, even a place where he would not be welcome. He's now on his way home, and he's reading Isaiah. Isaiah? Why that? Perhaps because Isaiah gives him some hope as a foreigner and a eunuch. In chapter 56, the prophet gives encouragement to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord. You will find that in chapter 56. At this point, the Holy Spirit commands Philip with another innovative order. Go over to this chariot and join it. Even though this man is a an Ethiopian, and a eunuch. This is a change from what Philip has been doing in Jerusalem and Samaria. This angelic instruction doesn't seem to bother Philip, and he doesn't react negatively, as we might suspect he would, because God is now taking him from Jerusalem, where he's been holding huge revival meetings, performing miracles, bringing many people to Jesus Christ, And now he is being sent out to a desert to talk to one man and a foreigner at that. Bible says he got up and went. Maybe you noticed as we were reading this lectionary text today that the angel of the Lord made it very simple. Get up and go. And he went. Philip immediately ran up to the chariot. He heard the man reading the prophet Isaiah like a sheep. He was led to the slaughter like a lamb silent before it. He said, "Um, well, we can just be grateful that Philip does not share the concern of Johann George Heinzmann, who thought that reading from Isaiah might cause nervous disorder, migraines, epilepsy, hypochondria, and melancholy. Nor does he assume that the residents of Israel and Ethiopia will have nothing to talk about like Henry Thoreau assumed was the case between those from Maine and Texas. He's not even worried about running alongside a chariot, a vehicle which might have earned the condemnation of the car-hating Princeton Don. No, Philip is willing to follow the innovating suggestions of God. So he asked, do you understand what you're reading? Well, how can I? Unless someone guides me. And he invited Philip to get in the chariot and sit beside him. Philip moved in a new direction by joining the Ethiopian eunuch and helping him understand the biblical text. That is precisely what we need to do today to take some steps to sit beside and to guide. We might even call it the Ethiopian innovation. So what happens when we sit beside and guide? We give some very straight, very simple answers. We don't have to have all of them. 
Philip doesn't answer. Well, let me point out to you, I think you need to make a careful examination of the present-day studies in biblical history in order to assess their diverse orientations and their different methodologies, while at the same time not neglecting the risk that the exclusive use of one methodology vis-a-vis the comprehensive understanding of the biblical testimony and the gift of God given in Christ might lead you in another direction. No, he doesn't say that. He simply says that the prophet is talking about Jesus. And he proclaims the good news to him. That's pretty simple. Simple as it can be. It's what the Ethiopian eunuch needed to hear. And what the outsiders of our society need to hear. It's a story we can tell if we are willing to sit beside and to guide. Don't fall victim to the fears of preacher Jedediah Morse who said, let us guard against the insidious encroachments of innovation. No. I think we need to do something else. This week, John Blake, who is a journalist, raised an interesting question for me His question was this. Where are Baltimore's old men? And he details that the older black men who seem to naturally mentor young men in Baltimore are very few. They're no longer around as coaches for pickup games of basketball and baseball. Then Blake lifts up a book, The Lord of the Flies, Were you required to read that like I was? It was written in 1954 by the English author Wildham Golding. Many of you were probably assigned to read it. The novel describes what happens to a group of upper-class English schoolboys when their plane crash lands on a deserted island and all of the adults are killed. The kids try to build a society of their own But with no adult guidance, they descend into tribalism and savagery. William Raspberry, Pulitzer Prize winning writer for the Washington Post, once invoked this book's title in a column to describe what was happening to young men in the inner cities of America's cities. He said that without the civilizing influence of older men to guide, young men never develop a moral compass. They become castaways. That's what he wrote. Maybe that's a description from literature, what we see happening today. When we sit beside and guide We give some straight answers to tough questions. Sometimes we don't know the answer, and it's okay to honestly say, I don't know. But this is an innovation the world needs. You can find it happening all over the country, actually. Um, I thought to myself, who are the eunuchs of our day. Where are their chariots? 
Are they found in young boys riding their skateboards on Pittsburgh sidewalks? Are they the ladies having their nails done at the salon? Are they the people just walking along the canal? I thought about passing out slips of paper, asking everyone to write down the name of one person you know who might be in need of a Philip to sit down beside them and share the love of Jesus. Maybe it's you. There are Stephen ministers here to be helpful. There are deacons and elders who are eager to be supportive. There are wonderful members in this parish. One of my greatest joys, and I think Carrie's, is to look out on a Sunday morning at this congregation. And some of you have observed people sitting by themselves. And you have come to sit beside them and say, can I worship with you? Sometimes you have done that to someone who has just lost a spouse. Sometimes you have done it to someone who has just watched their last child leave the nest. Sometimes you've come in, I think, and thought, they're sitting there. I wonder why they're in church today. I haven't seen them for a long time. They're by themselves, and you know that they have a spouse who's in the hospital. Maybe I should just sit beside him. I don't know him. Jean Veneer founded a special community that provides a loving home for people with very severe challenges. When somebody asked one of our men, Peter, if he liked to pray, he said that he did. So the person continued and asked him what he did when he prayed. And he, he said, I listen. And then this person asked what God said to him, and Peter, a man with Down syndrome, looked and said, well, God just says, you are my beloved son. Maybe that's what we need to see and what we need to say. Maybe we need to think a bit more about some of the other verses from Scripture we could have explored this morning and share them. Sometimes it's very simple. Beloved, since God so loved us so much, we ought to love one another. We love because he first loved us. Lots of people need to hear this. I invite you to pray with me. Lord Jesus, to follow you is to be led to the hurting and the needing, the lost and the searching ones of this world, that we may be your love and act of caring to them. As your body on earth, we dedicate ourselves anew for this purpose. Bless and use us and the gifts we bring for your ministry and mission. Amen.
Please share with me the prelude to communion. Christ with all who keep on struggling, helping others to be free. Christ with churches working, searching for a greater unity. Christ in bread and wine be with us. Give us strength for each new day. In this world of daily crosses, be our joyful, loving way. Rose Dykeman, would you do me a grand favor, my dear? Would you mind standing for a second, please? Rose is celebrating her first communion today because she's had an opportunity to study what God gave us in this great gift of opening the table to us, to all of us. And I wanted to give thanks and praise for her family's commitment and for her making this choice today to fulfill God's promises and to partake and to share. Congratulations, my dear. You may be seated, honey. Please pray with me, friends. God of grace, we thank you for renewing us at your table with the bread of life. May this food strengthen us in love and help us to serve you in each other. Help us, Lord God, as we remember your salvation history, that you gave us your Son as Christ, light of the world, who revealed your glory to the nations. Your signs and witnesses in every age lead people from every place to worship the Christ. We praise you that in him we became your children, baptized into your service. You are holy, God of majesty, and blessed is Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Sent to be our Savior, he took our flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. His words are true. His touch brings healing. To all who follow him, he gives abundant life. And so remembering all your mighty and merciful acts, Lord God, we take this bread and this wine from the gifts that you have given us and we celebrate with joy the redemption won for us in Jesus Christ. We ask you to accept this, our service of praise and thanksgiving, 
as a living and holy offering of ourselves, that our lives might proclaim the one crucified and risen. And we ask that you would help us to live lives looking for ways to innovate and finding your grace as we do so. Amen. On the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord took bread as I do, ministering his name. And after he blessed it, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, broken for you. Take ye and eat.
after the supper, our Lord and Savior took a simple cup, saying, This cup is the new cup, sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. We're reminded that every time we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we do proclaim our Lord's saving death until he comes again. My friends, these are the gifts of God for all the people of God.
I have had the joy of smelling such beautiful flowers up here in the chancel for the entire time that we've been enjoying the sacrament. And they are in honor of Mr. and Mrs. Jim and Pam Frame, married right here in the sanctuary on Friday. Congratulations. I don't think you could smile any bigger, except for possibly Marianne Collins, these flowers were placed here as a surprise by your loving husband to celebrate 35 years of marriage. Congratulations to you two. Kiss Cam. <laughs> but wait, the celebrations keep going on and on. Rob, how many pictures do you and Karen have on your phone of James Robinson Rhodes having been born a few weeks early this week? Countless. Countless. Congratulations on this wonderful young man. Can't wait to see him in the presidential, presidential halls someday with such a name. Congratulations. And we have Nevin Fisher's birthday today. Congratulations, Nevin. I promise not to tell how old you are. And we're also celebrating this lovely prayer request. I'm just going to read it, Paige, because it's so beautiful. This is Paige Thompson writing. I want to thank all those who kept me in their thoughts and prayers during my journey to medical school. This fall, I will be attending the University of Buffalo. She made her choice. Yeah, there are a few people who have Buffalo friends, right? Medical school to pursue a career in medicine. I am so thankful for all your support, and we're thankful for your journey along the way and letting us do it because you're such a joy to support, my dear. Congratulations. We're also giving thanks and praise that God continues to heal us. If any of you have seen Ron Pollock this morning, you've seen that he's got a little bit of a Band-Aid on his forehead because he stood up too fast and split open the top. Yeah, I know, it even sounds painful. But he declares that God's grace is good and that he's healing. But give him an extra hug because you know how much he loves them. We're also confident of God's grace healing us. So, Randy, we're with you and with your mother-in-law and with the fall and the hip surgery that's planned. May God continue to heal her and be with you all in this journey. We also give thanks and praise that God has been with Judy Lewis as she's been on the roller coaster ride of being in the intensive care unit. We had hoped that she was doing a little better. They had weaned her off the respirator, but they have now had to place her back on it. So God is faithful. We continue to hold her in prayers. And I want you to know that the reason I'm wearing red today in the little um, Dorothy shoes is because we're celebrating our confirmands in the fellowship hall this afternoon. Don't be surprised if you smell wonderful food. We are going to feed our confirmands, their families, their mentors, and some elders who will be examining them. Please enjoy your coffee hour normally. If you'd like to join us in a little bit of the lasagna, feel free as well, but that's why the tables are set. And those of you who are coming to that confirmation brunch, please go ahead and start serving yourselves and eating, for we will have blessed that meal in these prayers. Please join me in prayer. Gracious and loving Lord God, we thank you for having renewed us at this table with your bread of life. May this food strengthen us in love and help us to serve you and each other. Help us to be missionaries in every sense of the word, relying on your grace and recognizing that your power is made perfect in our imperfection. As we have brought our cares to you in our prayers, let us bring our lives to your healing mercies so that we might be bold to innovate with your grace. By your spirit, unite us with the living Christ who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you.